This morning, I entitled the message, The Importance of Being Called. I thought it was being clever because there's that play, The Importance of Being Earnest. And so the importance of being called. Because maybe you know this experience and maybe you don't, but there is nothing worse, personally for me, than to be someplace that you're not called. Have you had that experience? That you've tried to do something spiritual in your own strength? I have. I I was going through this just a few months ago because it was a good thing to do. And so I'm, I'm trying to do this good thing. I don't know about you. I want to be so good for God. I just want, I was always that type of student, you know, sitting in the front row with my hands folded, you know, like, I'm just so good. Love me because I'm good. You know, and I remember like the teacher would say, who knows the answer to, you know, I don't know, 20 times four. And I'd be like, I was that type of kid. You probably hated me, but I was there. But I always wanted to be so good. And sometimes I want to be so good for God. And I want to do so much for God. Have you ever found yourself doing too much? Had you're tired and you're, you're weary and you're worn out? I remember living in England and I was doing the Sunday school, Sunday morning and Sunday night. I was teaching two women's Bible studies a week. I was hosting a prayer meeting at our house. I was doing a once a month brunch I was homeschooling my children. They tried to fire me, but they couldn't. I was doing all these, you know, things for the Lord. And I remember one day just having this full breakdown. And I was in this this, um, little hallway. And I remember getting on my knees and wailing. And I could only say one sentence. This is how gone I was mentally. Jack of all trades, master of none. And I don't know, somehow that turned into a prayer and a wail. But I was doing all these things. I remember Brian's like, hi, Cheryl. I'm like, Jack of all trades, master of none. Because I couldn't stop. It started, you know, and it just wouldn't stop. And he's looking at me and goes, okay. Jack of all trades, master of none. And uh, he said, do you think maybe you're doing too much? Jack of all trades, master of none. And, you know, he kind of was like, Cheryl, what? Is it that God is calling you to? And Brian relieved me of every ministry that I possibly had, except for homeschooling and Sunday school, the two I wanted to jettison most. He made me keep. (laughs) But, you know, I, I found that I had to just, I had to just find out which of these am I really called to? Which of these can other people do? And it's not my call right now at this time. But I know that feeling, and as I was saying just a few months back, I all of a sudden had all of this um, anxiety. I was just so full of anxiety. And I'm thinking, okay, what is wrong? Because when I'm frustrated, when I'm weary, I have to go back and say, Lord, where did I take a misstep? Where did I get in front of you? What's going on? Because, you know, that's not... That's not what happens when you are in God's call for your life. It doesn't happen. And I remember just going before the Lord and just praying and seeking the Lord in my devotional time. And the Lord just pinpointed and said, this is not your ministry. And I said, but Lord, it's a good ministry. And I want this ministry. It still hurts that I can't have this ministry, honestly. 
It was one of these things that the Lord spoke to me and he said, lay it down, hands in the air and back away. And it was almost like, you know, those police voices, put it on the ground, put your hands in the air and back away. And it was so strong and it was really difficult for me to lay this down. And yet when I'm trying to hold it, I'm frustrated. I'm weary. It's not working out for me. You know, it's not like I'm even good at it, but it was just something that I so wanted to do for Jesus. I wanted to do it out of duty. I wanted to do it out of uh, respect. But this is what happens. We can end up doing things that God does not want us to do or have for us to do. And they can be good things. They're just not God's purposes for us. And the result is we have no grace. We don't have that divine impartation or empowerment. And because there's no grace, we're kind of mean when we're doing it. We're a little bit grumpy. We're a little bit resentful. We're frustrated. We're weary. And we even dread it. But I'm going to do it for Jesus because it's good. And I should do it. So watch out. Here I come. We get into legalism. Because that's what it is. Legalism is when we are doing what God has not called us to do. That's part of it. Things that we're putting laws and rules we're putting on ourselves. So we get into methods and formulas and rules and measures and standards. And then what we have to do because we hate it, we start requiring it of others. Because misery loves company. And I'm not going down all by myself. If I'm going down, you're coming with me. We do this. Come on. You know it. I know it. I've seen you do it. Well, not really, but I've seen me do it. We judge others by these standards. We become oppressive because we're oppressed. There's no liberty and there's no joy. Whenever the joy is missing, go back and find out, what am I doing that I'm not called to do? You see, we all have a calling of God, a special calling on our life. We have the general calling. All of us have a general calling. That's the first call. And that's, of course, to grow in the knowledge of the word of God and our knowledge of God and deeper in our relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. We're all called to fellowship, as it says in Hebrews, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some people, but we're to do it even all the more as we see that we're living in the last days. We all have a call to prayer. We're all to be people of prayer. We're all to be lifting up needs. We're to be praying for one another. We're to be praying for our fellowship. We're to be praying for our pastor, praying for uh, believers and unbelievers alike. We all have this calling to pray and to be in communication, talking to God. You know, I have to say right now, I have a problem with prayer books. You know, like books that tell you how to pray and what to pray. You know, I said to Brian, I have a problem with these. And he said, really, why? And I said, well, think about it this way. How would you like it if I had a book on how to communicate with Brian? Well, let's see. This is situation number 14. Dear Brian, you know, I, I want to use my own words when I talk to Brian. And when I pray to God, I want it to be my heart and my words that are speaking to God. This is relational. This is conversational. So we're all to be praying and we're all to be walking in obedience to God according to the principles of the word of God. But there is a specific calling that each of us have from God. 
This refers to our spiritual vocation, our spiritual gifting, kind of the thing that God's going to give us as our speciality. The thing that we're going to do that's just going to be unique. I love how Jesus has pet names for all the disciples. You know, um, Simon became Peter, Rocky, John and James, sons of thunder. Jesus had these special names. I love it how Saul became Paul, the little one, in God's sight. And he's got these special names. Even so, he has a special calling. And these names often reflect the calling that God has for us on our lives. The apex of the Christian life is to hear the call of God and walk in it. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, not that I have yet apprehended. Here's Paul who's established all these churches, evangelized, we're studying about him, and when he began to really feel that call to go out. But here he is writing this epistle to Philippians from a jail where you might say it's over for Paul. He's in prison now for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's saying it's not over. If it's over, it's great. But I don't think it's over because I haven't yet done everything that the Lord has for me. And he says this one thing I do, I want to apprehend that. I want to grasp for which Christ Jesus has apprehended me. I don't want to miss one purpose that God intended for me. My mother used to have this little cartoon on her mirror in her um, bedroom. And it said, God put me on this earth to do a specific number of things. I'm so far behind, I'm going to live forever. (laughs) But when we walk in the specific call that God has, this specialty, this vocation, this gifting, the result is grace. It's the sufficiency for everything that's needed or required. It's divine provision mentally, physically, and emotionally. It's where people go, I don't know how you do it. How do you walk through that Red Sea? How do you get through those wildernesses? How do you go into those hospital rooms? How do you homeschool those children? How do you raise those children? How do you do it? And you could say, not I, but God. It's the grace of God as I'm walking in the calling. There's also a joy. There's an exhilaration and self-discovery. Like, I love this. I was talking to Sue Peterson, who works with the Red Wagon Ministry. She ministers to the homeless. That's not my call. I'll just let you know right now. I can watch people minister to the homeless. It's not the call for all of us, is it? But it's her call. She loves it. She is so excited about ministering to the homeless. And there are others have been called to that. They get exhilarated by it. Honestly, I love ministering to children. I love getting on their level. I love talking to them. I love teaching Sunday school. I love reading to them. I've had people go, how do you do it? I'm like, I love it. It's like my favorite thing to do or throw pennies in fountains with children. That is a calling. There's also this sense of freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty for all. There's this sense of absolute freedom as if you can't go wrong. I am so called to this that I can't make a wrong move because God's so in it, so directing, so all over this thing. 
There's so much liberty. And that leads us to confidence. The confidence because I'm called to this. I have this boldness because this is the call. This is what I was created for. Of course, part of the call in my life is to be married to Brian Broderson. I love that call. I love that man. He said the other day, I'm getting old. I'm like, no, you just look more like Cary Grant. (sighs) I love him more, I think, as an old man than a young man. And I sure was wild about him as a young man. But I like this old guy. I love where every crevice falls on his face. I love his, his tummy, which he's trying to get rid of. I like it. You know, I just, I'm so called to be his wife. You know, you're called to be your husband's wife. And isn't that great? Because if you know you're in a calling, you know any other woman would fail in this position. This is my calling. This is my man. It's just such a great calling. You know, it gives me such confidence when I'm dealing with my kids and their issues. Because I was called to this. I share their DNA. I am up to this. I was called to this. In Acts chapter 13, we see four things. We see preparation for the specific call of God. We see the purpose of God's call on Paul and Barnabas' life, just like there's going to be a specific purpose that God has in his calling on you. Their purpose is unique, even as the calling is unique. You see the procedure, because all of us, when we are called, there's going to be a unique procedure or way to do the call. And finally, we're going to see the power in the call. And it's the same power for all of us, the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at the preparation for this call, it begins with the right atmosphere, You've got to be in the right atmosphere to hear the call of God. I remember years ago, before we went to England, Brian and I had a specific day of the week that we would fast for England. We didn't think that we were the people that were called for England. We just knew somebody was. So we were fasting that the Lord would raise up those people. So every Thursday, we had a prayer meeting at our house. And anybody who wanted to could come to this prayer meeting and we could pray for England. And it was at that prayer meeting that the Lord began to say, separate Cheryl and Brian. We're like, no, 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 wrong names (laughs) for the ministry that I have called them. But I remember there was this other couple and they weren't feeling called to England, but I remember they were like, we're fasting every Thursday too. And man, it's so hard. We're drinking hot chocolate. We're watching videos. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not what you do on a fast. (laughs) I mean, the hot chocolate I don't care about, but you don't watch videos. You you do spiritual activity. The reason you're going without food is so that you can pray. So you can seek the Lord more. You're giving up that time and that preoccupation to concentrate on the Lord. Your hunger is to prompt you to pray. You're not supposed to ignore the hunger. You're to use it as a prompting to pray. You're to pray that others will hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ and for righteousness. So you have to be in the right atmosphere. And we find that Paul and Barnabas were in the right atmosphere. They were in the church of Antioch. And this church in Antioch was the perfect atmosphere. One, it was a multicultural church. Oh my goodness, it was preparing them for the different cultures that they would go into all over the world. You had Simeon, who was from Africa. You had Lucius, who was from Cyrene. You had 
Paul, who was a rabbi from um, Damascus. You had Barnabas, the Levite from Cyprus. You had Menain, a childhood companion of Herod the Tetrarch. So there's all different cultures. You had a, a culture from the upper class. You had the culture from Africa. You had the culture from Cyrene. You had the Jewish culture. But not only that, this atmosphere was an atmosphere of Christ-likeness because we're told in Acts chapter eleven twenty six that it was here in Antioch that believers were first called Christians or Christ-like or Christ-bearers, the bearers of Christ. So here in this church, they were behaving like Jesus. Next, you had a growing church. It was thriving. In Acts 11.21, we're told that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. In Acts 11.24, we're told in a great many people were added to the Lord. So you have this growing atmosphere where the gospel is prospering. You have maturity in the faith. As we see that those in the church who are being saved were not just staying like we're saved, but they were becoming prophets and teachers. They were being raised up. And in the atmosphere of the church, we're to be receiving those spiritual gifts and begin to operate in those giftings, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, for the equipping of the body of Christ, for the edifying of the body of Christ in love. We see that it was a ministering church. The They were interested in ministering to those in Jerusalem, to giving them relief from the famine that was coming, and that they ministered to the Lord in prayer and fasting. Not only was it the right atmosphere, but they were involved in the right activity. And the right activity is crucial to the preparation to hear and walk in the call of God. We find that this church in Antioch was in the word, teachers, which means there's an emphasis on knowing the word of God, communicating the word of God. They were in fellowship again. They were meeting with one another. They were praying together. They also had the activity of praying and fasting or waiting on the Lord. There were prophets who listened to hear the word of the Lord and then let God's word and his will be known. They were attentive to God's word. So this was an obedient fellowship and attentiveness to the word of God or obedience to the word of God is crucial. You know, Jesus said, or actually it was James, Jesus through James, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. And there are believers who are only hearers of the word. James said those who are hearers of the word and not doers of the world are self-deceived. He said they're like those who look in a mirror and forget what they saw. Now, I don't know about you. I'm 53, almost 54. But when I look in the mirror, it's for self-correction. I'm doing this. Anything between my teeth? You know, it's the mascara on the eyelashes and not the cheekbones. I'm looking for things like that. Did the lipstick miss the lips and hit the teeth only? These are the things I'm looking for. Are their hairs out of place? It's self-correction. It's no longer any thought of admiration. Might have been when I was younger, like, hey, hey, let's go. But not now. 
Now, now it's all self-correction. And maybe a little cover-up too. Oh, let's get rid of that thing or let's cover that. But that's what the word of God is supposed to do. It's to be self-correcting. It's to help us, to improve us. We are to look at the word of God and say, this is where I fall short. So Holy Spirit, come in and do this work in me. This is what I need to do. This is where I need to move out. That's what the word of God does. We hear that in this church in Antioch, Agabus, who was a prophet, declared that there would be a worldwide famine. The people in this church didn't go, oh, that's nice, or oh, how sad, or oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? No, when they heard that, they believed it, and they started a collection right away. They started putting aside for it, and they put aside and put aside and began to send relief to the church in Jerusalem. Years ago, Bob Caldwell, who is uh, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Boise, he was telling us that he was ministering in India, and they had this prayer meeting among the the pastors in India. And during the course of the prayer meeting, a word was given, get your financial books in order. Get them in order. Put everything in order and give an account for everything you have and every dime you spend. And so Bob says, I really feel like that's the Lord. And so he really exhorted all those pastors to obey. Those pastors went back to their churches and they got all their books in order, perfect order. About uh, two or three months later, India all of a sudden decided to crack down on all the Christian churches. And they required that all the churches in India give up their financial records to the government. All these churches were closed down because their financial records, India accused them of fraud through a lot of pastors in prison and jail. But the Calvary Chapel pastors that were attentive and obeyed the word of God. They not only were spared, but they were also honored. You see, this church said, God said it, we're doing it. God spoke it, we're going to do it. They acted on the word of God. When God spoke and said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them, there was no hesitation. They heard the now. And immediately they began to pray and fast for Saul and Barnabas. Let me just say here that part of the preparation was also separation. That will always be part of God's preparation. God's call will always involve the leaving of something to go on. If you remember in Matthew chapter four, Peter had to leave his nets, Peter and Andrew. James and John had to leave their father and their boats. Later, we find that Matthew had to leave behind his tax collection booth and his vocation. There is this sense of separation You know, I know when God has been calling me before, there has been this sense of alienation that I no longer feel close or connectedness to the things I felt so connected to. I remember, and I hate to keep going back to England, but I've got got more current examples, but they're a little too personal right now. But when I was to leave for England, 
I remember all these women that I felt so close to and Calvary Vista, which I was like, I can't ever leave Calvary Vista. All of a sudden I walk in going, do I have any friends here? Do I know these people? And even when we talk, it felt like I was like, hello, hello, hello. You know, it just felt like this chasm. And I knew God was beginning to separate me. So my um, heart wouldn't be broken. And yes, I felt this separation with my dad. As God began to call him more and more to heaven. He'd been my best friend, one of them, Brian, the other one. I used to call my dad and tell him everything. And I began to feel this separation. And I was like, Lord, what are you doing? This is my dad. Why don't I feel as close or as tight with him as I've always felt? But God was separating my father for the work that he had for him. And I know... I know he's in heaven having such a grand, great adventure. That's so him. He used to ask me to go up to the mountains with him, and then he'd ditch me. And he would like, I'd be like going around waiting for him. And I'd find out he went four-wheeling. He went ziplining. He was shooting arrows, riding in like um, race cars. I'm not kidding. And one time... I was there with Brayden and Kelsey. We were looking all over for him. We had no idea what happened. We were worried about him. I turned to them and I said, okay, we're going to write a story. It's called The Mystery of the Missing Grandpa. (laughs) And we went around looking for clues and asking people if they had seen Pastor Chuck. And when we finally did find him, he was like, oh, you didn't eat? Well, I had, you know, pastrami sandwich, french fries. We're like, what? He had this full adventure without us while we're sorrowing and, you know, collecting clues. And I know that's going on right now. But, you know, that separation that begins to happen even in our heart when God is about to do something. Sometimes we condemn ourselves. Why do I feel this separation? Why do I feel this alienation? No, it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's a sense of restlessness. What's going on? I'm so restless. None of these things that I'm doing work for me anymore. What is going on? It's the Holy Spirit preparing you for what's going on. You also see that part of the preparation is the right attitude. It's the attitude of I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the body of Christ. It's the attitude of John chapter 15 that without Jesus, I can do nothing. It's to look at this call and say, Lord, unless you go with me, don't ask me to go. I'm not leaving this place. It's that total reliance on the Holy Spirit. And that's what we find. That the disciples there then laid hands on them as they prayed and fasted. The laying of hands is a transfer of authority, the conferring of God's power upon them. Then they were sent out with blessing, support, prayer, sponsorship. There is nothing like knowing that someone is praying for you. Having served on the mission field, there is nothing, nothing that comes close to it than when somebody writes and says, I was praying for you. I had a very scary experience in England. It was 
so frightening. I got stuck in a train station. Long story short, Brian and I were walking towards the train. I had Kelsey and Braden, five and seven, with me. And all of a sudden, I jumped on the train, and there was no Brian. And I was on the train, and all of a sudden, I realized I had no money, no tickets, because Brian had the tickets. He holds everything, even the passports. No no passports, no tickets, no nothing. Here I am on the train and the kids are going, where is daddy? And I'm like, he's on the train. He was walking with us. He's the one that told us, hurry, hurry, hurry. So we get on the train. We get off at our station. Praise the Lord. They didn't check for our tickets. We get off. The station is dark. It's 10 o'clock at night. Across the tracks, there's some guys drinking something out of a paper sack. I didn't ask what it was. They're saying things. This gang runs past us. They're saying horrid obscenities. They jump over us, and I'm sitting on this little bench going, let's sing. Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm scared to death. I don't know where Brian is. I don't have enough money to get to the place we live. I'm in England. I don't know how to get to the place where we're staying. I'm just watching the trains coming and praying that he took a train that's going to stop at this station. We're there. We're praying. It was about uh, 30 minutes later, the train stops, it comes, there are like three trains in between, then this train comes in, there's all this shouting and yelling, this uproar, it's kind of like a riot. I'm sitting outside again, singing, Jesus loves the little children now, because we had to keep singing different songs, and all of a sudden, you hear this commotion, this yelling, and the crowds part, there's Brian with our older two teenagers, where he found him, I do not know and another couple who our teenagers have been with, and the people turn around and they're clapping for Brian. And I'm like, what in the world is this? Found out there was a fight on that train and Brian broke it up. One of the guys had a knife and Brian grabbed it, saved the one guy and said to these other guys, you will not do this. This is is not, you know, and started preaching it on the train, unbelievably, and then the people are all clapping for Brian. It's typical. Um... Why I'm there, Jesus loves me, this I know. The next day, a friend of mine calls me and she goes, okay, what was going on at about 9.30 England time last night? Because I was praying in the spirit for you. I was groaning for you. I was asking for God's protection on you. Exact same time. Exact same time. No wonder I was able to sing. It was just a God thing. We need that support. We need to be sent out in our vacation. We need the support of others. They were sent out by the Spirit. That's the only way to go. Under the Lord's directives, the Lord's service, protection, and power. Now, what's the purpose of the call? Well, the purpose of the call for each of us will be different because it's God's purpose, not our purpose, God's purpose. We're told that the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to his will. Different gifts according to his will. What he wants done. The purpose for Saul and Barnabas had to do with evangelism. But you notice what the Spirit says. He says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them. He didn't say for evangelism. To go into, he he didn't specify it then. Why? Lest everyone should think that's their work too. He says, for the work that I have, I have a specific purpose for them. Just like in your life, God is going to have a specific purpose for your life. The specific purpose for Paul and Barnabas was to evangelize, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world of the Gentiles. 
Barnabas and Saul were designated by name. They were uniquely suited for this ministry. Barnabas was a Levite, but he was raised among Gentiles in Cyprus. Saul was a rabbi, a former Pharisee, trained in Jerusalem, knowing the scriptures, but raised in Damascus among Gentiles. Both knew the scriptures, both were convinced and able to clearly testify to the deity and person of Jesus Christ from the scripture. But there is also a unique procedure. There's a unique way that Paul and Barnabas did it. That I don't know anybody who does it this way today. It was for that time, it was for that place, it was for those gentlemen. This is the way that God called them to do it. He directed them to first take the gospel to the synagogue. They were to present the good news first to the Jews, that there might be an opportunity for the Jews who receive to become the evangelists to the Gentiles. God was gonna open up this opportunity from the very beginning of God's call to Abraham It was a call to all the nations. God said to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Throughout the Old Testament, it's riddled with promises to the Gentiles. Jonah was called to Nineveh. To what? To bring God's word to the Ninevites that they might be what? Saved. That they might come to know God. But Jonah was an elitist. He wanted that only for the Jews. He didn't want the rest of the world to be saved, as so many Israelites didn't. But what God always intended was that the world through Israel, through his testimony to Israel, through the lives of the Israelites, through the temple that was to be called a house of prayer for all nations, the the person of God, the love of God might be known. So it was important that the gospel first go to the Jews that they might receive it and herald it, and some did. But that was their procedure. Every Sabbath, they would go into the synagogues and wait for an opportunity. Then when an opportunity opened up. And if you remember in the synagogues, it was commonplace for them to say, is there anybody who has something to share? But I love this open door that the Lord sets before him. If anyone has anything to share, Paul's like, open door. And he takes that and he gives a very clear presentation of the gospel. Here's his procedure. And his presentation of the gospel is different then somebody else might present the gospel. It's different than Stephen's or Stephen's presentation of the gospel that we studied in Acts chapter seven. But this is Paul's presentation. He shares from the history of Israel, past, current, and the prophets. He shares about their commonality, the promises to the father, the history of Israel, starting the bondage in Egypt, the deliverance, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, the possession allotment of the land of Israel. He shares about King Saul, then goes to King David, the messianic promises given to David about his seed, a savior, Yahshua, which means God is salvation. He talks about John the Baptist, who was a known figure, the first prophet in 400 years. And we're told that the multitudes considered him a prophet. And when he was prophesying, he said, the Messiah 
is here. That's why you've got to be baptized because the kingdom of God has come. And Paul lets those people know that John the Baptist was talking about the Messiah, Jesus, the one who had been in Israel doing all those miracles. You see, there were people that started to believe in Jesus, but when he was crucified, they gave up their faith in Jesus. Jesus was a renowned and known figure because of the miracles he did, because of the multitudes that followed, because of the people that he healed. But when he was put on that tree and crucified, there were many people saying, well, I guess it wasn't him after all. Like Cleopas and the other disciple in Luke chapter 24, when they said to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come. We had hoped. But when we saw him crucified, that hope died. Now we don't know what we believe. So Paul comes with the news. It's still Jesus. Jesus is the one. But this is what you don't know. He rose from the dead according to the scriptures. He was supposed to die on the cross. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't that God turned around in heaven. They grabbed Jesus, crucified him. God went, what happened to my son? No, it was all meant to happen. And these men, even though they had evil motives, had actually fulfilled the scriptures. And Paul goes to the scriptures to show how the Messiah was supposed to die. Again, referring to Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is with Cleopas and the other disciple, we're told that starting at Genesis and going through the prophets and the Psalms, he showed them how it was imperative that the Messiah suffer and die and rise again from the dead. And that's exactly what Saul Paul begins to do from the scriptures is to show how it was imperative that Jesus died. It was according to the will of God that that they, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might be justified from all things, all things. Those things that the law could never justify, the law could never forgive, the law could never atone for, now are atoned are forgiven, are wiped clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. In Romans chapter one, Paul says, I'm so excited about the calling on my life that I get to take the good news every place. This is the call. I'm so privileged. I'm so honored that this is the call of God on my life. And then Paul ends this sermon by warning, beware, beware. He says this incredible warning. If you don't listen to this, what happened to your forefathers is going to happen to you. You will die in unbelief. You will die in idolatry. You will not be saved because God has sent his son. It's his last word to men. Receive him, have forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Reject him and die in your sins. There's a power for this call. A power, again, when you're walking in the call of God, there is a unique power. Even as there's a unique procedure, going back to the procedure and how they would stand up and and Paul would give this clear presentation. I know that Steve Kuhn has a penny that he hands out to people that has the Ten Commandments on it. And then he's like, have you kept these? And he's got this whole procedure he does. And people are like, they get saved. I get a penny. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. 
here's a penny. I'm just, I can't do the penny thing. You know, other people, they give the four spiritual laws or five. See, I don't even know the number. I can't do that. You know, there's a unique way that God has for each one of us, according to our personality, according to how he's, he's built us, how he works with us. Personally, I find the best way uh, for me when I'm sharing with somebody is just telling them my personal testimony, how good God is for me, what God has been doing in my life, the answered prayer. I've also found this, um, that I'll say to somebody, I hear them talking about what they're going through, and the Lord has used this for me. I'll go up and I'll say, do you mind if I pray for you? I'm a woman who prays. Could I pray for you? I did that with a neighbor. She started coming over, giving me prayer requests. She wasn't even saved. It's like just this amazing open door. That's how God has used it. But each of us will have a different way of doing things. I think part of the problem is we develop a methodology and we think that methodology is for everybody or somebody else has a methodology. I think beware of formulas and methodologies. God is gonna work uniquely through you according to how he's created you. There's something that we call plenary inspiration. You've all heard that the word of God is the inspired word of God, but it was written by 44 different authors. 44 different men contributed to the word of God and how it was written. We even have the song of Deborah, Miriam. We have her song. So we have all these different contributions to the word of God. And yet there's this cohesiveness, isn't there, with the word of God. But there's a different style to every book. There's a different presentation. Plenary inspiration has to do with the fact that God used the personalities of those writing the Bible. He didn't change everybody's personality. So everyone's like, the Lord said, and this is the will of the Lord. He didn't make them robotic. He didn't say, copy this word for word. He allowed them to say this word of God in the vernacular and vocabulary of those they were delivering it to. So God will work uniquely through each of us. Have you ever tried to do it according to a method that somebody else told you to do? I tried inductive Bible study. Some people absolutely love it. It's gorgeous. It works for them. I tried inductive Bible study. My whole Bible study time totally dried up. I was like, what did it say? No details. I hate no details. I'm totally into details. You're trying to do it step by step. It became so rigid, so formulated. And I began to dry up. And I remember my mom called me and she said, how are you doing? I said, not very well. And she says, what's wrong? And I said, mom, I feel like such a big sinner. Inductive Bible study doesn't work for me. She goes, me either. Praise the Lord. Let's not do it. It's like, seriously? She's like, no, it doesn't work for us. It works for them, Cheryl, but it doesn't work for us. So let's just go back to studying our Bible and taking notes and putting down whatever the Holy Spirit says. I said, so mom, let me get this right. You are giving me absolution from inductive Bible study. I'm getting it from Kay Smith, right? She said, absolutely. I said, okay, can I quote you on this? She said, absolutely. Can I quote you? And I said, sure. We have that. It didn't work for me. I can't pray through the tabernacle. I forget which room I'm in. I have to just pray. I just have to talk to God using my own words. And as I told you before, the first mile, God says, ignore her. She just complains this mile. Catch her on the second mile. Because I have to walk and pray. That's how I concentrate. That's just, 
That's just what God has given me. He's going to give each of us uniqueness. But beware of formulas. This is how God worked through them. Finally, down to the power for the call. The call on Paul and Barnabas' lives required divine provision, divine power for traveling. Oh my goodness, the places they went, they needed strength and endurance. As as Dina was talking about, if we get the call at eight o'clock, we go. Oh my goodness. If I get the call at eight o'clock, I say, Brian, you go. It requires the direction of the Holy Spirit. They needed to know what means they should travel, where they should go. They went to Cyprus, to Antioch and Pamphylia. Uh, Next, as you study your next lesson, Iconian, Lystra and Derbe. They needed the Holy Spirit's direction when it came to timing how long to stay. Then they needed the power of the Holy Spirit for boldness, for the opportunities that were set before them. Boldness to talk to dignitaries. When um, Sergius Paulus called them, instead of going, well, you're important. You know, they had that boldness to go up. I I have a friend. Her name is Carrie. She has such boldness. She walked up to Bruce Willis and said, hey, Bruce, my name is Carrie. You need Jesus. He goes, I know I do. I mean, she just amazing. She did the same thing with Muhammad Ali. I met him and I was shaking. It was like, you beat up people. That's all I could think of. (laughs) Wasn't my call. But you know, the call of God, this boldness to not be intimidated by dignitaries, to withstand false prophets like Bar-Jesus, or who's also called Elimus, to be able to stand and withstand to be able to rebuke and do the right rebuke. Here, just to say exactly what God is saying. To have that discernment, the power to discern, you're no son of Jesus. You're full of deceit. You're full of all fraud. You're the son of the devil. That's whose son you are. Enemy of righteousness. To call him out. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And then... To call down power into the situation. To bring God's power into the situation. So you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have that power to bring God's power into the situation. And we know that Paul says you're going to be blind. Not seeing the sun for a time. This mist comes over Illimus. I wish I had this power. But I might not use it correctly. And that's why this ain't my call. He's blinded and he needed someone to lead him around. It could be dangerous. You took my parking place. You know, God knows who to give this power to and who not to. But they had boldness to step forward when the door opened in the synagogue to share, to go through that open door like, here we go. This is it. Boldness to rebuke unbelieving Jews, as we find in verse 46 of chapter 13. Boldness to pronounce their personal intention to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That takes boldness before this crowd of Jews to say, this good news, since you do not want it, we're taking it to those who do. The power of the Spirit for a clear presentation of the gospel before Jews which have some history, some commonality, but to give a clear presentation of the gospel before Gentiles who have heard nothing like this before, 
those who have believed in pagan idols. I, mean, I think of these missionaries that go into these places and these tribes like Elizabeth Elliot, who goes to the Aka Indians who've never even heard of Jesus. Where do you begin? Where do you do the basis of what you say? Oh, the Holy Spirit gives you a clear presentation. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Spirit for perseverance in the gospel. When they were rejected, when those Jews blasphemed and opposed the things spoken by Paul, to continue on with the gospel, not to give up, to dust off their feet and move to the next town when devout and prominent women, not intimidated by women, and chief men of the city raised up persecution against them and expelled them. Power to be an example to the new believers when they're being opposed and rejected. They were able, even in this atmosphere, to encourage new believers in the faith, to show these believers how to respond to persecution and how to persevere Forgive, love, and continue in the grace of the Lord. See, Barnabas and Paul didn't just say continue in the grace of the Lord. They said, this is how you continue. I know that there are times that I have felt so overwhelmed by trials. And this is what the Lord says to me. Cheryl, do you want your children to be overwhelmed by this trial or a trial similar to this? Because they will fall very easily if you're overwhelmed. And sometimes I have to say, I am doing what I do just for my children. I think of Joab in battle against uh, the people of Ammon. And he turned to the troops and he said, do this for the people of our God and the cities of our God. You know, sometimes we're doing what we're doing and we can't even think about ourselves. We have to do it for the people of God and the cities of God. We do it as an example. And here, Paul and Barnabas, they're not just encouraging them in the grace of the Lord. They're showing them what grace under fire looks like. Finally, in conclusion, why it is essential to be called. You might notice in verse chapter 13, a verse chapter, sorry, chapter 13, verse 13, 13, 13, that Mark couldn't keep up with Paul and Barnabas. He had to leave. When they came to Pamphylia, after the encounter with Sergius Paulus and Bar-Jesus, Mark said, I want to go home. I want to go home. And he left right after Cyprus. Why? Because it wasn't his call. Perhaps he was taken with the call on Saul and Barnabas, just got so excited. Maybe you're like, I want to go to Romania. Hold on. It might not be your call. Maybe it was because he liked Saul and Barnabas so much that he just wanted to be with them. Maybe he romanticized the call, which is very easy to do until you're serving in that call. Maybe he was pressured by others to enter a call that was not his. Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. Maybe he was so encouraging that he's like, yes. Or maybe people said, you should be with your uncle. There are well-meaning people that will often try to give us calls that God is not giving to us. And even though somebody says, I think you should, or you ought, because they might be in a call that they hate and trying to give it away. (laughs) You need to make sure it's God's call. Maybe Mark felt it incumbent upon him like he felt it was his duty 
There are times that we do things out of duty and not the call of God. Maybe he felt like he should go because he had been an eyewitness of Jesus and he had been with Jesus. But Mark found that he didn't have the power for the call. He might have had the right preparation, but it wasn't the call. He might have even had the right procedure. I get how Barnabas and Paul roll, but it wasn't his call. It was not that he was disqualified because later we find out that Mark writes the gospel of Mark. It was after this. Perhaps God was saying, this isn't your call. Go back and write the things you have seen and heard. And he goes back and he writes the gospel of Mark. Later on, he travels with his uncle Barnabas on a missionary trip. And he's commended by Paul in a letter written to Timothy. But what was true for John Mark is also true for us. We need to be in the right call because God has an individual call for each of us. Some of you are already in that call. For many in the church in Antioch, the call was to remain in that church and to pray for Saul and Barnabas, to continue to raise up relief for Jerusalem, to continue to establish those in the faith. Others, no doubt, were waiting for their own call to come. But perhaps you've been like John Mark. You're trying to do something and you're frustrated, you're afraid, you're weary, and you're burdened. Maybe it's the wrong call, or maybe it's just the wrong timing for the right call. Or maybe you're using someone else's procedure and methodology in that call. And you're not, this is not how I do it. Same has come true for me in Sunday school to try to take on some other person's way of doing things. God gave me a specific way to to minister to children. It's possible to do our call according to someone else's methods and feel totally awkward. Maybe that's the problem. Whatever the case, whether you are in the call or waiting for the call or wondering about the call. We need to be in an atmosphere where we can hear and prepare for the call. The atmosphere of fellowship and growing in the word of God, the atmosphere of prayer and fasting, the atmosphere of obedience or being attentive and obedient to the word of God. We need to be in a place where we want to know the purpose of the call, why God has called us, why me, what for, And what does God want to accomplish through my life? We need, again, to have the right procedure. God working through us individually as the Spirit wills. The power of and in the call, the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ working in each of us. There's a call. There's a unique call for each of us. My dad, when he used to teach Ephesians, he would always start with Paul, an apostle, or Paul called to be an apostle. And then he would stop, and with that legendary smile, he would say, what is your call? And sometimes he'd even find me and go, Cheryl, called to be a mom. Kay, called to be a wife. He would just kind of look for people he knew, and he knew their call. You know, John, called to be a doctor. 
And he would just name the different people and the different callings. You know, call to be a cook, call to be a baker. Oh, we all have an individual call. The thing is to hear the voice of God and to move in that call according to the power and the procedure that the Holy Spirit has laid out personally for each one of us. Amen. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand up. Lord, we thank you that you are so personal, that you love us so much, that, Lord, you are the one who made us and fashioned us, Lord, that word yatsar, to fashion by hand each of our hearts, each of our lives. And Lord, you have that call. Lord, I pray for my sisters. Maybe they're like me, that they have tried to do a call that was not their call. And maybe they've even felt guilty because they're like, I can't do it. Oh Lord, will you not allow them to require of themselves what you are not requiring? Will you free them and emancipate them right now? And will you put them in the right call? That call that will bring joy and happiness. (laughs) Lord, may they feel the power of the Holy Spirit working through them to do what they cannot do. Oh, Lord, free us up that your Holy Spirit might have free flow through each one of us. And we ask this according to the power of the greatest name that can be named. The name that frees us. The name that forgives us. The name that justifies us from all things by which the law could never justify us. The name of the only one to rise from the dead. The name of the firstborn of all creation. The name of the only begotten Son of the Father. The name of Jesus Christ. In that name we pray. Amen.